Love Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to the Otto's Tiny House Village. Here I am in the village. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Very little cleaning to do in the tiny house village. Welcome, everybody. This is also, we are live in the Blog Talk Radio studio, Female Solution, and I'm Viata for Health and Well-Being with Viata. Now, we've got a very important subject today. But we're going to bring a lot of knowledge and wisdom to this subject uh, because a beautiful soul who uh, a lot of people just adored and loved left the planet. But let's listen to our greeting, our global greeting right now, and say hello to our global family. Wherever you may be listening around the world. To our family in China, Ni Hao. In India, Ni hao. Namaste. In Japan, Konnichiwa. In Korea, Annyeonghaseyo. In Russia, Zdrastutsye. In Germany, Guten Tag. In Poland, Dzień Dobry. In France, Bonjour. In Spain, Hola. In Italy, Ciao. In Egypt, Athen Wasalan. In Ghana, Akwaba. In Nigeria, Peleo. In South Africa, Saobona. In Senegal, Nangadeh. In Kenya, Jambo. In Israel, Shalom. In Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Saudi Arabia, Assalamu alaikum. Greetings, and may peace be upon you all. Namaste and Satnam. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's get busy because I've got a lot to share with you. And we want to have this serious conversation to prevent the choice of taking a person's life. That's all what we're all about, examining and healing the root causes that would cause someone to say, I don't want to be here on this planet anymore. And I want you to look at it today as a soul decision, a soul journey. Not so much a physical, mental, but the soul says sometimes it's time for me to leave and go on to a new adventure. Because we don't believe here at the Female Solution that you die, that you're, you come to an end. Your spirit, your soul moves on to another adventure, and that's the joy of anyone who leaves the planet from their body, anyone who you know or I know who decides to take their life and, and go on to another realm, that's a soul journey. That's a soul decision. And I would even say it's a divine order of things because uh, the scriptures, many of the scriptures say that our time on this earth is designated 
and known by the universe and other sources. So let's get busy. I know you came here to do some joint rollings because why do we do joint rollings? If you're new to health and well-being with Viata, we do joint rolling for three primary reasons. And I always encourage you to do it before you even get out of bed. Get your day started in bed by flying, first loving yourself. That's right. That's what we do. First, love yourself. That's the key. One of the keys to not going around depressed and thinking, I don't want to be here. Oh, it's just a horrible place to be, is to fly every morning. Don't let that stop you. Uh, any worries or depressed. Let's fly, fly, fly. You first love yourself with joint rolling because, one, it improves your circulation. When your circulation is improved, guess what? You think clearer, your body functions better, and you have maybe more happy thoughts when your blood is flowing versus when it's stagnant and things aren't moving. You might have pain. Number two, your lymphatic system gets a real boost when you're rolling these joints around and moving your body. That means your lymph glands are not going to be swollen and puffy, but your lymph glands are going to be functioning in a way that drains all the toxins that might build up. So your lymphatic system is a wonderful system that works great when you're moving your body. And number three, because it's winter time. You want to build up your immune system. That means all those T cells and B cells and all those cells that keep you from getting sick and having a cold. Your immune system is built up when you're rolling all these joints. So, so yay, being here. And even if you're watching later, may this be a reminder for you to fly, fly. First, love this temple, this sacred place, these cosmic curls, all this love, love, love. I love you, I love you, I love you. So let's start by taking some deep breaths because I believe breathing has become well known in many areas and many circles that it helps prevent stress and deal with, helps you deal with stress when you are able to stop when you're in a, a difficult situation and take some deep breaths, take sends oxygen to your brain, and you think better on how to handle the stress that you might be in. So let's inhale through your nose. Hold it, hold it, hold it, and exhale. Inhale through the nose, through the nose. Inhale, inhale, hold it, hold it, and exhale through your nose. It's better to inhale and exhale through your nose because your mouth can tend to get dried out if you're blowing all that air in and out. So let's try through the nose. Inhale, inhale, inhale. Hold it, hold it. Exhale. Getting the body ready for movement and uh, systems flowing great and powerfully. And in French, it's inspire, 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 and expire, expire. It almost sounds like be inspired when you breathe in. Inspire yourself, inspire yourself, inspire, inspire. And when you breathe out, expire all the bad, all the bad thoughts, all the bad energy. Okay. 
So we are ready to – and don't stop that breathing as you're moving. It's important to be breathing in and out as you're moving your body. And, of course, we're going to start with rolling our head around. And um, here is flying here. It's about to take off here. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. So here we go with some music. The time it's time for healing. The sounds of blackness. Oh, I can't find a better song. As much as I wanted to bring in a new song for the year, I just can't find a better song than this that speaks of the times we are in. If you listen to the words, the world has gone insane. I was just talking about this uh, with a friend uh, yesterday about the situation all over the world with people and the world government's insanity. You couldn't think of a better word than insanity. When you look at what are the United States government is doing, they just approved billions, or they're working to approve billions of dollars to send to Israel, to send to Ukraine, and then some crumbs for the, the border crisis. These people are insane. They're not listening to the, the citizens of their country. So we have to take charge starting right here. We're taking charge right here with this vessel of clay, this amazing biological computer. This is the house that we have to take full charge of, full charge here so that we can begin to send love, energy, and sanity out to the world that needs it desperately. So let's get started with, we're going to put on some music, and then we're going to start rolling our head around and get this neck stretched in the shoulders and the arm. We're going to stretch our arms. Then we're going to get on our back. And I'm going to show you two ways to roll, get the joints rolling and the body moving. So here we go. Sounds of blackness. I don't own the rights to this music. It's time for healing.
and then with the Cleveland Browns and New York Yanks, they were called. They were actually a football team called New York Yanks. But after that career, he went on to get his degree and served in the World War II and all that. But after his career in football, he taught high school students, and he was the football coach. He was the physical education instructor, and he was the football coach um, at his high school, Harlan High School in Chicago, Illinois. And he stayed there for over almost 30 years. And what what made him decide to leave was that the 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 relationship he was having, not only with the student, but with the parents, ah, it changed over the years. He was not able to get the cooperation from the students or the parents after many, many years there. So he decided to retire rather than compromise on his values and so forth. But I met many of his students in Chicago later on when they were adults. And I, I was working on a documentary for him, and, and I interviewed some of his oh, his students. Oh, my goodness, they just loved him. They just praised him. And they talked about what a big difference that he made in their lives. So, uh, and they went on, to, some of them went on to be judges and courts and lawyers and all types of careers. But he made such a big difference in the lives of the students that he taught in high school. And that's what um, I think black history is all about acknowledging men and women who made a difference in the lives of the people that they worked with or lived with or touched. So I, I uh, brought up a little clip um, that my dad was interviewed by uh, Ditka, uh, Night Out with Ditka it was called. And uh, this was an interview that just gave a quick summary of who he was and and how what he what he thought about some of the people um, that he worked with over the years, some of the very important people like the coach of the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, this just show and then to show you how fit he was even at 85, he he was looking so good, and then things kind of changed uh, because life does that and relationships do that. And I want to start off with him because um, over the years, relationships have played a big role, I think, uh, in in how people, let's see, history. The relationships play a big role in whether people decide to live longer on this earth. And and that's the, what we're talking about today um, with a woman, Antoinette Candia uh, hey, Bailey is her name. We're talking about uh, Antoinette Candia Bailey today. But I want to show you before that the example of a man in my life, Sherman Howard, who made such a difference and he developed relationships with the youth that inspired them to go on to do some really great things. And that's what part of the prevention today of taking your life is about developing awesome relationships over everything else. 
But first, let's hear an interview uh, that my dad did um, some time ago uh, when he was 85 years old, years young. It was 15 years ago. He was 85 years young in this interview. So let's play that. Hi, Sherman. Um, come out to an event like this. For you, how important is it to have groups like this where guys who've gone through what you've gone through playing and after can all be together and talk? Well, memories. You know, that's what you live on when you're my age, memories. I'll be 84 in November, so that's memories. 84, do you, what still, in those memories, well, what still gives you a charge? Well, the guys I played with, Tom Landry and uh, Motley and guys like Otto Graham, so Bill Willis. You know, those names come to your mind, and so you're glad that Emlyn Tunnell, we're all close. So. When you talk about a Landry or something, did you know he was a coach when he was playing with it? Did you see that in his future? Well, I knew, uh, well, see, Landry and I started out together in 49. So we were both uh, with the Yankees at that time. And he was our punter and the defensive. I mean, so we we could have a close relationship. Then over the years, uh, whenever I'd come by, he'd always be glad to see me. Okay. Was he a student of the game? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. See, the, the guys he played with at that time, Snellenbach, I see he just passed yesterday, and uh, Tom Monroe and Tennell, those guys, they were, they were pretty good ball players. Sherman, you still look pretty spry for a guy your age. Uh, I, you, you seem to have come out of the, the wars much better off than a lot of these guys. I taught high school physical education for 32 years, so I had to be in shape to stay with along with the kids. And then I coached for about 27 years in high school. What, let me ask you one thing. For fans, what don't they know? Well, well, what can't they ever identify with unless they've been in a team and on, on an NFL field? Two a day practice. <laughs> See, I don't care how well you prepare for it, you're not prepared for two a day. That's the body going at its highest sustainment for two days, I mean two, two times a day. And that's for two and a half hours. Now, at that time, when I was there, stay out there three hours. But now, you know, they got it pretty well arranged. I know when I went with Paul Brown, he had it well arranged. I mean, hour and, four, hour and 50 minutes, that was it. I don't care what you were doing, hour and 50 minutes. Now, with Lombardi, when I was with the Giants, you might be out there until he got satisfied. <laughs> so that was the difference there. As I let you go, what was Paul Brown like? Very astute, mean what he says, and uh, very analytical. Never curse, never holler at you, but whatever he said, you know, one of the things I always remember him saying, are you running as fast as you can? And see, you didn't answer that because if you said no, that means you're loafing. And if you say yes, you might be too slow for his team. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sherman. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, so that was the man who was the most influential person uh, in my life. And um, I'm honoring him uh, this moment as uh, Black History. We're looking at Black History all month. And so as we go into the reality of light, some people's lives uh, today, um, this beautiful soul, Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey, that's her name, uh, I want to share her story with you because I wrote my dad's book 
uh, for it took six years to write my dad's book. I had to con- communicate with him from Florida to Chicago. And I started this outline, and then I, my sister and I met him in um, Chicago, and we started this book, Sherman J. Howard, Football and Beyond. Six years, back and forth, back and forth, uh, questions, answers, questions, answers, questions, answers. And my dad, at the end of it all, he said, oh, everybody has a story. I was like, what? After all this work, that's all you – he wasn't like, oh, I'm so happy my book's written. Oh, what a joy. What? No, he was like, nah, everybody has a story. He didn't think much of it. But I, I, I realized that statement, everybody has a story, it humbled me. And it should humble all of us to be better listeners, I think. When we meet people in our lives who may be stressed, who may uh, show signs of anger, bitterness, just low vibration emotions, it should help us understand, understand that they have a story that has not been told. And maybe just telling their story to you will help them get through the day without thinking, ah, I don't like this world. I'm just going to take my life. So I want to share with you this life that came to me uh, last month. A friend of mine sent me an email about this woman, um, Antoinette Candy. I never met her before, but I read the, the email and realized, okay, she went to Lincoln University. That was where my older sister went to school and graduated from. It's in Missouri. I believe it's St. Louis, but I might, no, it's in Jefferson City, Missouri. And when I was reading it, I was like, wow, this just reminded me of my sister and all the the trials she went through, even at Lincoln University and beyond, and she died of breast cancer. But this woman's story was very revealing because she left lots of information about her journey before she took her life. Lots of, especially the last month or so. So I want to just help you process her journey, her story, so that we can be better at recognizing the signs maybe of people who need us to hear their story, who who people who want us to listen to their story and just listen, that's all. Sometimes all we need to do is listen with over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And today, if you can listen to her story and then ask yourself, how would you handle um, a person in your life who tells you this story before they decide to take their life, even though, you know, it's a soul journey, their soul goes on, they're still alive, she's still alive. But she's leaving us a big, big lesson about mental illness because she confessed that she had mental illness to everybody, even her boss, everybody. So it was no secret that she, quote, had a mental illness. And my guess is she was on some type of medication. But before we go into that, it's time for me to take a little break. They actually the end the first half hour. And when we come back, I'm going to share, start sharing um, actually Antoinette Candia's story. I even found a clip where Roland Martin covered this story. And it was only last month in January that she transitioned. Uh, all, a lot of ha- had stuff happened in January with this woman, and she just decided, ah, I'm out of here. 
But, okay, let me take a commercial break first. And when we come back, we'll, we'll listen to the story that helps us understand better why a person might take their life. So here we go. Here's a few commercials, and we'll be right back. Do you worry about finances, family, health, jobs, relationships? Are you in pain? Do you feel stuck? If you answered yes to any of these questions, help is available. Don't worry, you're not alone. It's part of the human process. You only feel this way because you haven't mastered the voices in your head. No hype, just down-to-earth, solid, workable tools and techniques that you can practice daily. It's really food for the soul. Whether you want to learn how not to worry about anything, reverse type 2 diabetes, publish a book, promote your product or service, or just make extra money. To take advantage of the deal of the day, go to zeldaspeaks.com or call 312-409-6619. Mention promo code The Female Solution and get free shipping. That's zeldaspeaks.com or 312-409-6619. Stop worrying today. Visit zeldaspeaks.com. Do you want to live in a world without war? Join our global peace movement. Heavenly Culture World Peace Restoration of Light transcends culture, religion, ideology, and other boundaries to achieve peaceful harmony in the global society. HWPL is committed to bringing world peace and cessation of war through peaceful dialogue between religious groups. I am Director Shin Suk Kim of the HWPL Chicago branch of North America. Join us for our next gathering. Call 773-580-1501 and be a part of the movement for world peace. Email us at chicagohwpl at gmail.com. I'm Beata, your Holistic Life Coach. These days, it's more important than ever to work on your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Are you consciously breathing deeply in stressful moments? Do you have a plan or daily routine to maintain balance in your awesome body? Are you struggling to be disciplined in your eating habits? When you partner with me, I'll help you develop a personalized health plan that works for your particular lifestyle. You can find out more about me at yourholisticlifecoach.com where you can also review my three-step protocol to guide you to abundant health. That's yourholisticlifecoach.com, and I'm Viato. All right, so we're back. And uh, before we get into... um, uh, our story on Antoinette, I want to just play this quick clip on what causes suicide. I thought this was a very, it's a quick, short uh, analysis of the causes of suicide. And then we can 
begin to, I, I hope this whole show you'll reflect on the causes and then every time you hear someone's story, you become a better listener for these sign, these signs that this person might be caught, depressed or whatever, and we could get to the bottom of uh, their low vibration. Because at suicide, let's, let's just face it, when someone's thinking about taking their life, they're at a very low energy level, low vibration, and we can pick that up if we're listening and we can do things in that person's life that might raise their vibration. That's the whole point of it, is to recognize when someone is at a really low point and then try and, and just make a difference. You know, that's like my dad made a difference in so many uh, young people's lives uh, that they became very successful. They went on to do some amazing things. And just listening again. But here's root causes of suicide by a professional that I thought I would like, I want to share with you. One of the big things that I have learned with with suicide is I I truly believe that it's a side effect of pain. Um, You don't have to have a diagnosed mental health illness or brain illness to have suicidal thoughts or suicidal actions. So where is that coming from? It's coming from pain that's caused by maybe physical pain bullying, financial devastation, job loss, um, heartbreak. So we have to start looking at pain as a common denominator, not just someone that um, that you know may be self-medicating with alcohol, someone that may have a diagnosed mental health illness, someone that have may have another um, disease that they're really struggling to, to want to live for. Um, we need to look at what people are going through every single day. The reason that these 10-year-olds, that the, the, the number two death with 10-year-olds now is because they're being bullied. They're feeling left out. They don't have the support or the mechanisms to, to fight these feelings of being bad and feeling left out. So many people are losing their jobs. They're so afraid of the future. That's a scary place to be, especially now that we know that those that are suffering, they don't want to burden their families. We have to reassure them that they're not burdens, that they are wanted here, that we are so much better with them in our lives than without them in our lives. I think as we uh, hear Antoinette's story, that you might think about uh, whether that's true, what she just shared about the root causes of suicide is pain, number one. I heard fear of losing their jobs, being bullied, and just personal uh, issues that come up. So um, here is an e- I'm going to show, bring up the email that I received um, about Antoinette and share with the screen with you so that you can um, experience what I did when I saw this email and why I'm doing this show today because it just kind of startled me um, to see and read about this person um, and what was going on with her. So here's a picture that came up first in the email. I thought, wow, what a beautiful soul there. What a beautiful face. And I thought, what in the world? And, and the headline um, 
on the um, email was, um, let's see, what was the headline? The death of Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey has taken Lincoln University and black women academics across the country uh, picture below. Okay, so that was the subject of the email. Wow, Claudine Gay was just the start. U.S. college presidents feeling a chilling effect. So many of the people in the black community and in college communities were associating this with um, the drama that we saw around Harvard's president because, again, we're looking at a, a black woman in a university setting who uh, has, is now gone uh, because of the politics really around her position. And uh, and this is just some of the, I'm just scrolling through here. This is all about Claudine Gay more than, than uh, uh, Antoinette. But um, decisions, they talk about decisions that bolter perception and uh, amid plagiarism, all this about, we. if you remember what happened with Claudine Gay. So then it gets into um, the article. So, again, setting the stage, this, this article was, first of all, relating uh, Antoinette's suicide to the despair, disappointment, and frustrations that black women feel in university. So here we get into the article, reeling with, quote, despair and disappointment. The fallout at Lincoln University of Missouri, and it's in Jefferson City, Missouri, prompted calls for the president's firing and raised questions about the treatment of black women in academia. The death of Bonnie Candia has shaken Lincoln University and black women academics across the country. So this didn't just affect one person, one Jefferson City, Missouri. Uh, This writer, uh, Sarah Wiseman, is saying it affected black women all over the country, maybe the world, I don't know. But the president, uh, who is really being vi- uh, villainized as the, the, the one who caused this suicide, I mean, that was the kind of the surprise to me is that one person is actually being pointed to as the reason this woman took her life. So the president is now on paid leave because of the scaling email that um, – um, that not only Antoinette left before she took her life, but because of what other people are now observing as what bullying. They're calling it bullying. So we're looking at one of the the reasons that she decided to take her life because she felt like she was being bullied. So they hired a third-party investigator to review the president's conduct toward uh, Antoinette who claimed in emails, and we're going to see how those emails read when we listen to um, Roland Martin's um, presentation, because he he read the whole email. He had access to her whole email that revealed her thoughts and and emotions about this. So in her email, she claimed um, that to her president, John Mosley, Uh, and the board that he caused her mental harm while she was suffering from depression and anxiety. Now, now I read that, what, what, what? It wasn't like he brought on the depression and anxiety. She was already suffering from depression and anxiety in a position at this university that she had only been in for, I think, nine months. She hadn't even been in the position a year. She was hired 
in May of 2023. And by December, uh, she was given a review that was very negative. And here the board responds, we're committed to make certain mental health of Lincoln University employee is a priority. Every employee is always treated with dignity and respect. So this is the aftermath, the reaction. You know, it wasn't any prevention evidently uh, taken in her case. I mean, here, right here, again, she al- she was already suffering from depression and anxiety, which means, in my mind, she had seen a doctor and they had prescribed something for her depression and anxiety. And we'll get into that later. Uh, because that's what her email indicated, that this person, this one person caused her mental harm while she was suffering from, oh, my goodness. Okay. So that right there says a whole lot. Because many of us have mental illness, in my opinion. All of us have a degree. And here we have a state earlier statement from the university described her as a gifted colleague, always a passionate advocate for Lincoln University, HBCUs, if you don't know what that, that's historical, historically black colleges and universities, I believe what HBCUs, other, and other causes in which she believes. And her 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 pre, her president, her boss, Mosley, sent her a termination letter on January third, obtained by Inside High, outlining his serious concerns with her work performance, including failing to follow his and other administrators' instructions in certain instances, charging non-standard dorm rates for some students without proper approval, resulting in the loss of revenue and failing to address concerns raised by her employees. Another letter he sent that day said she was to go on administrative leave until her firing went into effect in February. A notice also said she must vacate her apartment on campus by that time. Otherwise, campus police will promptly remove you and your possessions from the apartment. Whoa. Okay. Now, you can imagine the stress that would cause anybody, but let alone somebody who was already having mental, was in mental uh, stress already, okay? As she said, she had already been suffering from depression and anxiety, and then you send her a letter that says, not only are you fired, but you got to get out of your apartment uh, by February, uh, or otherwise the police are going to promptly remove you and your possess. So you're going to be homeless, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my goodness. So you can see the devastation this woman felt. And I, from what I understand, she's married. She was married from what um, I think Roland Martin brought out in his interview. And so she sent an email to her boss the day she died, specifying who from the administration should collect her belongings and speak with her family. So it sounds like if she was married, her husband wasn't present, and she wrote in the email, you're not to have any contact, you've caused enough harm and mental damage. She detailed a negative evaluation she received in November and said in the email that their relationship had gone downhill, her relationship with her boss, this Mosley, the president, 
after she submitted documentation under the Family and Medical Leave Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act due to my severe depression and anxiety. Ugh. She said she asked for an improvement action plan, but Mosley ignored her president, her boss, ignored requests, failing to respond to emails, and when face-to-face, danced around the topic. She said, you intentionally harassed and bullied me and got satisfaction from sitting back to determine how you would ensure I failed as an employee and proud alumna, she wrote. An anguished email from Candia Bailey to the board in November now. Okay, we go back two months before her suicide. Indicates she previously brought up her mental health to the board and to Mosley. Now that's, okay, she was hired in May, June, July, August, September, October, six months after she was hired. She's writing to the, the board of the school indicating she pre- that she brought up mental health to the board and to Mosley six months after she was hired. Wow. Alumni are calling, oh, alumni are calling for Mosley, the president. After all this came out, they want the president out, immediate termination. Sherman Bonds, who's the president of Lincoln Alumni, wrote a letter to Paisley, on January 9th, saying that the incident left the institution heavy laden with despair, discontent. Okay, uh, so this goes on, uh, you know, the after, the reaction. They were hurting, he said. I thought the health of the university was at stake. This is a tragedy that happened. Uh, Candia Bailey's death comes on the heels of the resignation of Claudine Gay. So, again, this community is associating this one woman's story of mental depression and anxiety with back to Claudine Gay, Harvard's first black woman president, Gay six months at the institution, ended after her performance at a December House hearing on campus, anti-Semitism, sparked out, blah, 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 blah. We heard about Dr. Gay. So then they summarize this. Research has shown that black women in academia, particularly faculty members and scholars, are more harshly judged and evaluated by students, non-black colleagues, and supervisors. They're also often asked to do more service work, student mentorship, for which they aren't credited and that largely goes unacknowledged or accounted for in tenure and promotion pre-reviews. They also face significant barriers to getting tenure. What's more, black women in higher education, including uh, historically black colleges, often have heavy teaching loads in addition to service and research expectations. Ashley Robertson Preston, who's the assistant professor of history at Howard University, all the way in, in, uh, in uh, Atlanta or Howard, wherever Howard is, uh, D.C., Washington, D.C., this reached all the way to Washington, D.C. She gave, says she hopes Candia Bailey's death prompts campus leaders across the country to take concrete steps to protect the mental health of black female academics. She wants to see institutions ensure that faculty members and administrators have easy access to mental health care and equal access to resources when they're in crisis. 
She hopes campus leaders hear, quote, hear black women, hear them when they cry, hear them when they say, I'm not okay, hear them when they say, this is what I need to be successful. Uh, Let her death be a spark to make change. We don't want this to be another name that loses significance. Let's honor her with our actions. Okay. And this goes on and on and on. Uh, and the complaints, and I'm going to share uh, Roland Martin, a, a very popular journalist. He had a, put out a YouTube on this, and this goes on and on and on. Again, um, the whole thing is connected to women across the academic uh, arena, women of color, and it's interesting, Lincoln University, was, by the time that my sister graduated, was a, black, a historically black college and university. Today, it's not historically, it's not black at all. The, the diverse race makeup is more uh, Caucasian, from what I understand. Now, I have a hand up, so I want to take your calls. What do you think about this? I have so many thoughts about mental uh, illness anxiety, depression, six months after you're in the job. What does that say about the mental state when you took the job, okay? And and whether you uh, are mentally, emotionally, physically even. We're going to talk about the environment of your internal body and external that prepares you to take on such a big job, vice president of student affairs at a large university. So let me hear from you. What do you think? How does one even prepare for a job like that mentally, emotionally? And then more important, once you get to a level of stress really bothering you that you think you need to see a doctor, what can you do to resolve the anxiety, depression without drugs. That's what we're looking at in my mind, is looking at her story. We're looking at us. No judgment whatsoever. This woman has left us a very important lesson about life and relationships and responding to, and even my dad's, philosophy about the psychology of adjustments. What do you do? How do you adjust when you meet a brick wall like a president who bullies you or a president who doesn't listen to you or your colleagues who are not listening to you? That's a brick wall. What do we do? What do you do about that? Her decision was obviously to get medication. And I'm just I'm assuming allegedly. I'm, I'm. This is my own personal thoughts that she was probably on medication because right up front, she was saying back in November, I have mental, I have anxiety and depression. What do people do? They go to a doctor to get something to help them with things because they want to stay in their job, obviously. So on any type of antidepressant, ah, you can go look look it up, Google it. I've done shows on this in the past. One of the side effects on many of antidepressants is suicide thoughts. So here we are in class because Antoinette, Bonnie, Candia, Bailey left us a lot of evidence and teaching. So let me go to the phone. I want to hear from you. After hearing about Antoinette, 
Tandia Bailey's story. What are your thoughts? We want to really focus on preventing this choice in our brothers, sisters, people. And what do you think about her story? What is it teaching you? So let me open the phone. Um, Admiral Nelson Bay. Admiral Nelson Bay. I I feel um, terrible that this woman um, uh, suicides herself like that. That's terrible. Um, You know, um, that's why I advocate mandatory Dianetics auditing sessions recorded uh, on a regular basis because um, people can also use those recordings as uh, videotape depositions admissible in court because from the information you've shared, apparently um, she um, was traumatized emotionally by um, the prospect of the indignity of her being so abruptly removed from her position, which apparently from what you said suggests that the very person most responsible for that, um, namely, I guess, her supervisor was, um, you know, going to be in a similar situation uh, if she had persisted against uh, Sister Antoinette. And um, sometimes people just need a caring person to listen to them. Sometimes, right. um, you know, even through this um, telemedicine, someone who um, she can access and someone who will just listen to her and give her some helpful feedback uh, to acknowledge in a positive, meaningful way that's helpful to her because um, there are people who are kind of on the edge like that and uh, uh, this, uh, I think we call it suicidal ideation and also Self-concept is a core of human personality, according to the psychological research, according to Dr. Brian Tracy in The Psychology of Achievement. And so sometimes a person's position uh, is at the core of who and what they are. And I am my father's son. You know, the child is the secret essence of the sire. And... Uh, Dr. Robert X said a number of things recently that um, we might want to take a look at as relates to the, um, gosh, I wrote it down, the title of it, but um, there are people who would be greatly helped if they just had someone they trust who they could go to and uh, she had a husband and it seems that maybe he wasn't there for her. And it's just very tragic. And so it's like um, every, how did Rahm Emanuel say, every um, crisis is an opportunity. And so um, what I learned from Minister Farrakhan is that um, we can – make use of the positive and the negative. 
and I'm becoming a master of that myself. That's and, great. <laughs> uh, can you please send me a picture of this sister who um, committed suicide with her name? Yes. Yeah. I, I want to see what see what she looks like. Okay, great. I'll do that. And if you, um, yeah, I have your number, so uh, let me make sure. Yeah, I have your number here, so I'll send you a picture. Um, she reminds me of one of the senators in uh, government. But, yeah, thank you, um, Nelson Bay. As Nelson points out, um, this is lesson time, learning time. And let me go to another caller before I go to the break. And I want to hear your thoughts on this because – we as a community can help prevent things like this if we are aware of this story, for one, and if we are listening every time we encounter people in our lives who may be a little stressed. So three, two, one, three, six, eight. your mic is open. Welcome. What's your comment or question? Well, as I listen to the show, great show, uh, and uh, I'm really thankful that there is such a show that deals with those situations. I had, I've had two as a teacher. I've had two incidents that relate to what you're talking about. And and um, today, uh, one was in Michigan, Detroit. Uh, another one was in Texas, uh, in uh, Texas suburb, Seagullville. Uh, uh, I was. Um, in Michigan, uh, the incident was first because it was like uh, that that took place, I would say, in the mid or to late 90s. And then the other incident that happened later when I had, after I had moved to Texas, uh, happened, uh, I guess I would say, uh, well, actually, I'm thinking. Okay, actually, the situation before, uh, in Texas was, was first because I ended up going back to Michigan where uh, I was raised because of uh, a separation. But anyway, um, okay, go the, ahead. The, the incident where I felt the most trauma was at the reform school there that I taught in Detroit. Now I didn't know that I was getting into the situation that I got into because they listed it as a youth home school, like for boys, and. And so um, I didn't realize <laughs> what I was getting into until I actually got there. And uh, the way it was set up, it was set up kind of like uh, it had two parts. It had a part for their incarceration, and then they had a part where they would come through a corridor to uh, the school part where you know where we would teach them. Okay, and in the classroom, my classroom age ranged from, which was was really kind of so different from what what the norm is that I had students in my class that were, some of them were 10 years old, uh, from 10, I'd say, to, to 21. That was the, the age range. They all in the same class. <laughs> and so I'm teaching various uh, literal arts uh uh, subjects, you know, uh, reading, uh, math, uh, language, and stuff like that. But my point is this, okay. I found out after I had been there that previously uh, there had been a break. It was it was like a prison break where they had 
they had attacked uh, this teacher and with a hammer and beat this. They beat the teacher really bad, and uh, I don't think they killed him, but they beat him pretty bad. And so, uh, and then they tried to escape. They had they had this wire over the building, uh, but somehow, somehow there was some of them that was trying to go over that wire and stuff and and get out. Uh, which all of that was was stopped. They uh, they halted it. Uh, and so here I am coming into this situation, taking this this teacher's place. So they hired me to take this teacher's place. So I'm in this hostile environment, okay. And then as as the lady was talking about bullying and so forth, it was like here I am, a new teacher, and these these students were tending to bully me. <laughs> uh, it's funny, but. Uh, you know, I'm not a big person, and so I guess they, they, you know, they probably felt that, you know, they could bully me for some reason. But uh, I ended up letting them know, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'm a Vietnam vet, and, you know, uh, I was trained a certain kind of way. And so I was letting them know, you know, uh, you know, if you, if you come at me like a man, I'm going to treat you like a man, and it's not going to be good for you. And so... Uh, I had an incident uh, even my uh, in my first week. I didn't know that also they had Crips and Bloods there. They they allowed these students to wear uh, a, like a uniform, a deep red, uh, I would say maroon uh, outfit for some, and then they had the blue sky, like not not sky blue, but uh, a blue, a light blue for others. And so you had the Crips and Bloods working there. Okay, and so here I am trying to get control of my class, and I, I was pretty much being successful. But there was one student who, uh, he was just ignoring me. I mean, everybody yeah, everybody else was pretty much uh, cooperating. And so I go over to this guy, and I'm asking him, I'm like, hey, do you need a personal invitation to do what I told you to do? And he just was looking up at the ceiling. And when I knew anything, I had grabbed this guy's seat. And I had really flipped his chair with him in it, and he jumped up and wanted to fight me. Uh, I didn't know. I'm gonna just cut the cut the chase. I didn't know that he was the leader of the of the uh, Crips, and so he had to save face. Here I was. I wasn't really trying. Tell people who are the Crips. Some people may not know what that means. Crips. Oh, the Crips and the Bloods. That's one of those. One of, was one of the top gangs there in California that really took the the country by storm. And then you ended up with factions almost in every city. And uh, really, I think they were under the jurisdiction of, I, I believe, uh, a group like the Mafia or something like that. But uh, okay. they were pretty violent. Actually, they were pretty violent there. I had to deal with that. I had to deal with that violence because you know uh, they were they were uh, they would fight each other. I found out I, as as you say what, uh, earlier what was the lesson. Well, part of my lesson was I learned that normally, as a teacher goes to the board and, and is writing on the board or whatever something that's related to the subject that they're teaching that. You can't. You couldn't do it like normal. In other words, I couldn't have my back to these two because I because I remember when I first tried that, I ended up with chairs being thrown at each other, books being thrown, all kind of stuff, and I was like, man, I can't even trust these guys enough to even turn my back for a second. So I learned how to write on the board, kind of sideways, where I could write on the board 
and see them all at the same time. But no, I'm watching you. And so I'm going to cut that to go just now with all of this going on and and, uh, and stuff. I had a number of, uh, a couple of times, say twice, where, where guys uh, confronted me like they wanted to fight, but they ended up uh, <laughs> realizing they didn't want to fight me. But what happened was, I over a period of time, I would become depressed. As I would leave home and drive to that school, I would, when I get into the vicinity, I would say within, I'd say maybe a mile or, or a two-mile radius of that school, I'd start getting a certain depression because it was like you had to always be on guard. It was always... Uh, a, a super challenge. And so uh, I, I really got so that I didn't want to even work there. But I just, I didn't really have a support because I also, I was going through a separation at that time. And so uh, I had that to deal with. And I didn't really have like a support group uh, of people. Uh, I did eventually uh, befriend a person there on the uh, on the job that was working with me as as an assistant. And we, I I got support from them, which helped me, but still it reached a point where I had to tell the principal of the, uh, of the school, I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it through this year. And uh, I said, listen, I kind of let them know that I was suffering from depression and and stuff. And and so uh, the principal kind of encouraged me, well, we'll work with you. Uh, we'll help you. You'll make it. And so, which they did. The staff was very good. At, at, they became sort of like a support system to a degree. But it, it was, you know, I mean, they're they're all on the job. So, you know, that was a limited sort of uh, thing. But anyway, they, they did, it did help. I made it through that year, and I left. Yeah, and so, okay. Okay. Then the second situation was, uh, in Texas where, you know, I was at, uh, I was teaching at elementary school, and they had what we used to have in-service for teachers. And so at this particular time they had an in-service for, for uh, a, a challenged student, at-risk student. That's what it was. It was so we had a, a person came in to uh, give us uh, tips and, and so forth on that. And so when what I did was, when they finished their presentation, I raised my hand, and uh, and so they called on me, and I, I said, okay, you, you, you've got all this information for at-risk kids. I said, well, what about at-risk teachers? And that just, because they really wasn't prepared for that. And, and so the bottom line was I, I let the school know that I was at-risk. And I was under a lot of pressure. I was, you know, I was going through a lot of personal uh, things, as I said, at that particular time, too. Uh, I was uh, just going through a lot of uh, emotional uh, difficulty and, and, and with the class, too, because I was teaching uh, remedial students. And uh, so I would have, you know, they would send me even kids that weren't necessarily remedial, but because I was a male, a black male, from Detroit, they felt I could handle anything, so they would just give me all these at-risk kids. And over a period of time, I ended up at-risk. And so my principal was surprised. He was like, 
he said, why you didn't tell me that you? I, I said, well, I'm the type of person I just try to, you know, adjust and go ahead on and, 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 and do what's necessary to do. And he said, well, you should. And long story short, I had to end up, as, as a result of that meeting, I ended up taking a, a medical leave. Uh, uh, and then uh, after the, the leave uh, ended, I ended up uh, resigning uh, from that. And so, and so uh, I was taking an antidepressant during the time. Period. I'm sorry? Were you on any medication during that time? That's what I was just saying. Yeah, I was I was taking Zoloft at that time. Okay. And so uh, great. And I was I was getting therapy, so that that really helped. Wow. Okay. What a story of of choices that you make, and and that's one of the things. Thank you, um, Mikael. That's one of the the solutions to suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety is to leave. Just leave your environment because when you get to a point of recognizing your own depression, anxiety, boy, I'm having trouble here. Like Mikael just described, he had to tell these people, what about teachers? What about me? What about me? You were talking about, but that's when, when you have that awareness and and thank you, Mikael, for sharing that because he obviously consciousness be in touch with his own mind, body, and soul that says, this is not good for me. I need to make a change. I need to make an adjustment. As you hear, as you heard, um, he didn't really know maybe what the solution was going to be ahead of him. But at some point, your stress level gets too high, your anxiety gets too high, and something kicks in. I believe it's a divine energy a purpose-filled energy that says you're not meant to be in this place any longer. And here's the, and then we can go to the next level with Bruce Lipton and ask ourselves, what is a healthy environment versus a non-healthy environment? And why does it matter? Because um, our, our Antoinette, uh, Candia Bailey, who took her life, she was not able to discern the need to leave an unhealthy environment. When your boss is what they call bullying, they call him a bully. He's on leave now. He might be fired. So they're blaming him for her death, basically. Can you imagine what that man is going through right now? Even if he is guilty of being very controlling and not very tactful and being maybe the worst boss anybody could imagine having. But to to be held responsible for someone taking their life, you know what that does? He might be going into depression right now, depending on, you know, what type of person he is. I know if I were in that position, I would be feeling really depressed at this point that someone took their life and they blamed me. They made sure, they wrote it in an email that you're the reason I'm taking my life. You're the bully. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my goodness. But looking at it on, on the other hand, as Mikael described, uh, he was conscious enough to realize that he needed to make some changes. And I didn't hear Mikael blaming anybody as much as uh, expressing the idea that I am not mentally healthy right now. 
I need help. I need to get out of this. This is not good for me. Uh, instead of you are a problem, you're blaming, you're fight. you want to fire me. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. No, you're saying I'm not a good person. Taking it personally, all that, all those dynamics we're hearing today because we're hearing people's story. And it's up to us to discernment, determine and discern What's a healthy environment and what's not a healthy environment? And how do we make decisions to leave or change the unhealthy environment? We're going to talk about both internal and external. But here's a great clip from Bruce Lipton. It's only a minute environment. Well, I could live in a perfectly healthy, happy environment that will support me. But if I perceive it's a negative environment, then my cells inside my body do not know that it is a healthy environment. They only see the perception that I send to them. And this is why perception becomes so important is because the cells are not directly touching the environment and depend on the nervous system's interpretation to adjust their biology. So if I change my perception, my mind, change my belief about life, I change the signals that are going in and adjusting the function of the cell. The point is very, very significant, and that is this. I'm not a victim of my genes because I, uh, by my ability to change my environment and by my ability to change my perception of the environment, have the ability to control my genetic activity. I'm not a victim of my heredity. I'm a master of my genetic activity. And that is what our dear sister Antoinette Candia Bailey was not able to perceive or discern, I believe. When you listen to what Dr. Lipton just said, it's all about perception. Can you perceive where you are right now as either healthy or unhealthy? And if you do, if you can do that, then are you a victim of that environment? Well, our our um, sister Antoinette saw herself as a victim of that environment. And Dr. Bruce Lipton says, well, that's, that's if you think your genes are in control, are not in control, and that you can't change your environment and your perception. Because what, what Antoinette could have done if she had not been already challenged depression and anxiety, she could have looked at that environment as a lesson, a lesson the fact that six months into the job you're feeling depressed and anxious, what is that saying? You need a break, honey. That's what I my thought is. You need a break. You need to take a break. Leave that. Un, if you feel anxiety and depression every day you go to work, is, this, is that healthy for you? Ask yourself that question, and I'd love to hear your responses. You go to work every day, and you're feeling anxious and depressed. What is that saying about your environment, okay? And we have a comment from our empress. I bow to my empress, Regina. You are great in your being, beloved. Exactly. Thank you, queen, sister. You are great in your being. That is what each of us should be telling ourselves. I am great in the being that I am today and always. I was created to be great in this being that I am. I'm in this vessel of clay. I am a vessel of love. I am great. 
and and our sister missed that. Instead, she became a victim because why? She was not able to perceive her greatness. She was not able to perceive that this unhealthy environment that I have found myself in. Um, I took just imagine you take a job in May and you're like, oh, I'm so excited. I love I, this is what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to be vice president of student affairs at Lincoln University. I'm so excited. Three months into it, you're and you have anxiety and depression. It's like, whoa, are you not perceiving that maybe this environment's not good for you? It's not healthy, or Maybe you just need a break to step back and change your perception of what this environment is telling you. These are some options that we have. And um, she was not able to do that. And so I want to just play um, Roland Martin is a very popular journalist. And he did a show on this that was kind of off the chain. And I didn't agree with everything he said, but he, he brought in, he, see, he draws the black community into his analysis of everything. And I'm sure at the end that he gave some good ideas, but what he did was just presented the problem and the victim. And this is what we see a lot of in journalism. Instead of, of a story like Nikhail's where you find yourself um, – communicating to other people that I have this problem, but I get out of it. I I leave the environment. That's the whole point. I leave the environment. So I want to just share with you what some of the journalists um, end up doing that doesn't help at all, but it gives us information. It does give us information that we might want to understand what's going on, but does it help? I want you to just hear what Roland Martin had to say and ask yourself, does this help or not when you have a story like this that is so confusing? Why did this happen? Uh, what are we going to do? What's, what is going on? And then uh, make a decision not to listen to or listen to uh, people who present this in a way uh, that may not help the situation. Let me see. Um, and then I want to share with you why suicide rates are high in South Korea. I was kind of surprised at this one in another country. So we're going to go over to the other side of the world. But here's just a little clip of uh, Roland Martin. A number of people uh, have been uh, on my social media talking about uh, the apparent suicide of a beloved VP for Student Affairs at Lincoln University in Missouri. Her name is Dr. Antoinette uh, Cardia Bailey. Okay, uh, she uh, died by suicide on January 8th. People have been suggesting uh, that it was bullying from the university's president, Dr. John Mosley. Uh, that led to her suicide. Folks are demanding that she, excuse me, the president also resign. And Lincoln University of Missouri is a historically black college university. is now a predominantly white institution. Today, the Lincoln University Board of Curators announced Dr. Mosley volunteered to be placed on paid administrative leave while a third party reviews the school's personnel 
processes. According to those close to Dr. Bailey, she was subjected to a toxic work environment, enduring alleged bullying and harassment from President Mosley and other university officials. Despite her numerous attempts to seek support and address the issue, Dr. Bailey was allegedly left unsupported and disregarded. She penned a letter on the day she died, detailing the bullying she faced after disclosing her mental illness to university officials. Uh, this here uh, is uh, a, uh, a letter here, folks. So joining us right now from Atlanta is Lincoln University's National Alumni Association President, Dr. Sherman Bonds, who wrote this letter, folks, uh, calling the school's current leadership a liability. This letter has been circulating uh, on social media as well, and folks, of course, have been uh, talking about this. Um, again, folks, um, do we have, do you, folks, do y'all have uh, the letter that she penned? Okay, uh, I'm something saying, do you have it in the control room? Okay, all right, so let me do this here, folks. I want to pull that up uh, because I want to be able to sh share it with you. Uh, and, um, you know, we were, we were sent uh, a number of uh, documents, folks, uh, from uh, the family of Dr. Candia Bailey um, that, again, uh, she shared. Uh, and th there were all sorts of, of messages uh, that, w that were shared, that were sent, um, uh, that went out as well. Uh, like I said, she um, – um, uh, so, so this – here, I'm trying to see here. I want to go ahead and make sure that this is the uh, correct letter here. Uh, and, and, and like I say, um, this has really been talked about by a lot of different people. Um, this here uh, is an email, of course, an email that took place between uh, President Mosley as well as, uh, you know, with, with Candy uh, Bailey here. Uh, you will see right here from John Mosley to Candia Bailey. Uh, talked about uh, her various comments, issues in her personnel file. Go ahead and go to my iPad, please. Uh, and so this is what it shows right here. Okay, come on, pull it up, guys. Thank you. And so you, you see right here. Uh, and so you see uh, the various uh, emails going back and forth uh, with her and the university president on a variety of issues. Uh, with us, and so that was with her and President John Mosley of Lincoln University. Uh, do we have a Sherman Bond? Can we? Can you hear me, Sherman? Okay. So we so we still are having some issues uh, with his uh, with with his audio. Uh, we still have some issues there with his, with his audio, uh, and so um, you know this is this is one of those stories uh, that people are talking about. Uh, people are talking about uh, because it deals with uh, workplace environment. It, it deals with. Uh, how people um, are, are dealing with various issues uh, within the workplace. We have a number of individuals uh, who are uh, who, who work in academia uh, who have been uh, sharing their stories about the things uh, that they actually uh, have been enduring, what they have been uh, going through, uh, all of those different things. You want to start a business, but odds are you won't. Why? Just take a look at them. Uh, and it has been, uh, and again, so uh, they, you also had an effort uh, to, to terminate her. So, so again, you just, it's just it's so many different things uh, that have been taking place. This is a letter here that Dr. Mosley, excuse me, that uh, was sent by Dr. Bailey to President Mosley 
on the day she committed suicide. You see her saying, thank you for allowing me to return to Lincoln University on May 1st, 2023, and serve as the vice president and dean of students of the division affairs. She goes on to talk about being appreciative uh, of, of working there. She says, yes, there are some interpersonal personality conflicts with team members. They're dedicated and work hard. I appreciated the meeting. And, and at the end, before the November evaluation meeting, I asked if you wanted me at LU. Thank you for the indirect response. It spoke volumes. Lincoln is where it started for me and where it ended. I'm expressing my sincere thoughts in this letter. She addresses and speaks about a number of her sorority issues and AKA uh, in here uh, as well. Uh, she goes on and talks about she receiving a 36 out of a 100 score on her evaluation on November 15th. She says that meant I didn't have a pulse and was just a body present. present. The total score was 100. If I am wrong, please accept my apology. The evaluation was not good. Why did you allow me to work if I was that much of a bad employee with poor leadership? While everyone was asleep, I was working. While on vacation, I was working. You even asked that I do a scheduled send on emails so folks aren't getting messages at all times of the night. I made it clear to staff that I work 24-7, but I don't have that expectation for them to be up working. The staff can never tell you of a time I didn't respond when I was working or away from the office, never. Who got called at 2 a.m., answered them and followed up appropriately. If it was so bad, you should have provided me with an improvement action plan to work with me on my poor performance. You had no intention of retaining me as the VPSA. It went downhill after the FLMA and ADA documents were submitted due to my severe depression and anxiety. She's saying she got requested to be removed under your leadership and from PAC, and this was causing significant attacks. This is all documented and sent. She says, you intentionally harassed and bullied me and got satisfaction from sitting back to determine how you would ensure I failed as an employee and proud alumna. How can you have an employee who ranks 36 out of 100 without a plan to help them improve? Well, you allowed me to do your dirty work and clean the house and student affairs. Everyone you had significant concerns about within student affairs and discussed when I started is no longer with the university. She then goes on by saying, you're avoiding this concern and thriving off the chaos. As an incoming president, you were required to receive leadership coaching, which you complained about meeting with Joe. Coaching is needed. Then she went on and talked about a number of other meetings. She talked about uh, this PAC meeting. She said, you never had a discussion with me about some of the concerns. I even asked for the specifics during the meeting, which you struggled to provide and promised me to give specifics. When you offered needed clarity on how it related to the evaluation, uh, I questioned uh, said what you offered needed clarity on how it related to the evaluation. I questioned, and you made it clear you weren't changing anything. It seemed you just pulled things out of the air. She talked about him failing to respond to issues uh, as well. And she goes on and on and on, detailed uh, an email uh, that re she received uh, as well, talking about, of the mental health issues. She says, you were made aware of my mental health by email. Before I sent the email to the BOC, the Board of Curators, you scheduled a meeting on 1026, your demeanor was that of rushing. You stood the entire meeting and you appeared heartless. She then says, be kind and watch how you talk to people. People have feelings and your words hurt. I observe you don't like it. I observe you don't like it when people do this to you. I mentioned this to you and you said, Bonnie, you do the same thing. I acknowledge I was direct and tried to make changes in my delivery. 
take ownership and don't get defensive when people try to provide feedback. She says student affairs administration is a revolving door. She went on and talked about, uh, please reconsider your management style. You're the first president I've ever seen, and I've worked and graduated from some influential R1 institutions to have his hands in everything. I mean everything. Now for areas you don't know much about, it is known you stay out of the way. It boils down to your lack of trust, insecurities, and control. How can you be concerned with trusting others when you can't be trusted? Uh, she talked about um, uh, working with other presidents and how they operated. She said, we spend so much on attorney fees. Kathy needs to provide better legal guidance regarding me in two situations. She accused him of being micromanager. Uh, you see all of this. She said, stop bullying and beating Pack up in front of others. What I've learned, you put April and Jeff in uncomfortable positions uh, in front of others. And she goes on in detail, and you see folks here, uh, boldface, underlined, highlighting all of these different things. She talked about uh, evaluations, again, his failure to operate as a leader. This so I'm going to end that there. I want to uh, wrap this up a little bit. My hair is just floating. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. She left so much evidence for us to um, learn from. And I, I felt like that whole email was about blame, 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 um, bully, bully, bully. You're the bully, 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 bully. I don't like what you did to me. I'm a victim. So, uh, and, and then again, remember, she already admitted she was depressed and anxiety, and anxiety before that even took place. Before that email, before her evaluation, she had admitted that she was having anxiety and depression. So do you think that affected her job performance? Maybe. But I go back to Empress Regina's statement, you are great in your being, beloved. And someone didn't tell her that. Someone didn't hug her and say, listen, honey, you don't have to stay in this unhealthy environment. And she didn't perceive, as Dr. Bruce Lipton said, your perception is everything. If she was already mentally exhausted, feeling anxiety and depression, that's an unhealthy environment for you. Now, for everybody else, it may be fine. But our creator expects us as divine great beings to discern and perceive whenever our environment is not good for us, we need to leave. And um, Naima Latif says she had the power to choose to leave that job. Absolutely. She was under the mistaken impression that the job defined her work. That's exactly right, Naima, that she identified with that position of vice president of student affairs at Lincoln University. So I hope, if nothing else, you get from this show today that we need to detach from positions that we hold, whether it's mother. I had to detach from the mother role. When my, when my two sons got to be adults, I was still in mother mode until I got a wake-up call one year that said, we're not listening to you anymore, Mom, about a major decision they made to take a jab. And I was like, whoa. And Creator helped me detach, detach from mother mode. It's like, you ain't their mother anymore. You are a soul partner on this journey with them. 
So identifying, well, even though they call me mom, I detached from that because it was her. It was painful to realize that your sons are no longer being influenced by major decisions that I wanted them to make. Thank goodness they have not shown any consequences of taking that thing. And because they took it early, and I understand the placebos were given out early because they didn't want people dying early. So they started the real stuff later, and they're causing myocarditis anyway. Detaching, detaching, detaching from positions that we hold in jobs, corporate. And let's get into entrepreneurship. I'm going to take a break right now and uh, give you an opportunity that I took advantage of uh, with a company called Melaleuca that is helping me help others in a way that I have been prepared for for many, many years. And this company is giving me an opportunity to partner with them. I'm not attached. I'm partnering with them to develop buying clubs, buying clubs where we can uh, purchase, be consumers of a, from a company that pays you to buy from them instead of Amazon where we are paying uh, Jeff Bezos to get richer and even Walmart, the prices at Walmart have gone sky high. They are no longer your bargain company anymore, not to mention the customer service sucks, always has. But you look at the consumer uh, activity that we do on a daily basis, and who, where's the value? Where are you being valued and where you are and how you consume? Well, I'm going to show you right now. I have a commercial that I want to play for a company that I'm partnering with and that you might be interested in joining my buyer's club. So let me show you this commercial, uh, and we'll go from there. Here we go. Have you ever wondered why some of the healthiest people still get sick? Or why the occurrence of learning disabilities like ADHD have drastically increased over the last 50 years? How is it that the cancer rate has gone from 1 in 8,000 back in the 1910 to 1 in 2 today? Isn't it odd that even though we are more focused on health than ever before, that there's still been an increase in diseases, disorders, illnesses, and other conditions? It destroys your quality of life? What if we told you that the very things you're using in your home to avoid these health concerns are actually what's causing them? If you're the decision maker in your home, you know how overwhelming it can be to keep your family safe. Today, we'd like to welcome you and simply provide you with some important information and shed some light on some health concerns you may not be aware of. Over the last hundred years, thousands of toxic chemicals have been introduced into society because of an excessive overstock of chemicals designed for warfare in the Second World War. Today, as the 2013 documentary, The Human Experiment states, quote, 42 billion pounds of toxic chemicals enter into commerce every day. That amount would fill up 623,000 tanker trucks. And as we speak, there are over 80,000 such chemicals on the market in the U.S. Over the last half century, chemical usage has gone up by 2,000%. And 
and it isn't until there are enough people hurt by these products that there are even questions raised. Does this sound familiar? On July 12, 2018, the well-known grocery store brand of talcum and baby powder company, Johnson & Johnson, was ordered to pay a $4.6 billion lawsuit. As it was said, they knowingly covered up asbestos in their product for over 40 years, and we have been trustingly using it on ourselves and our most precious of all things, our newborn babies. As parents, we work hard to keep our families safe and healthy. We diligently try to choose the best brands at the grocery store for our families. After all, keeping a clean home is an important part of good health. But is it possible that cleaning your home is dangerous? 7.3 million American couples have trouble conceiving during the pregnancy to term. This is a 49% increase since 1988. Recent studies have shown that babies that do make it to term are being born pre-polluted, with up to 28 harmful chemicals in their blood, with indicators that over 400 more were present, all without ever eating food, drinking water, or even breathing air. It just doesn't Studies show that in 1999, one in 500 kids had autism. Today, it's one in 59. But the effects don't stop there. As of 2013, the increases over the last 45 years show that life-threatening birth defects has increased 100%. Genital deformities in baby boys have increased 122%. Asthma has increased 80%. Leukemia in children has increased 74%. And ADHD has increased 53%. A 20-year independent study was done by the University of Bergen in Norway. This study started closely tracking a population of 6,235 women. So there's just an introduction to some of the reasons you might want to join a buying club. Because our, our environment on the outside alone is full of toxins. And then you're putting, we're putting products on our body that are toxic in so many ways, and not to mention what's going inside our mouth. So I joined a company called Melaleuca Company, M-E-L-A-L-E-U-C-A, Melaleuca Company. I'll put it in the chat. And I am excited about the products that I use that I can buy at a discount, like essential oils. I, I use essential oils all the time, all throughout my house, cinnamon and, and uh, tea tree. And Melaleuca simply means tea tree oil. And the company, which has been around for 38 years, uh, specializes in not only tea tree oil, but in other products that are safer. I'm going to Melaleuca.com, that are safer for you and your family. Because what happened to um, what we heard about our Antoinette today, that's just a small, small example of, of one person, one story that got into a toxic environment. And because she told us that she had mental stress, depression, anxiety, we don't know what she was putting in her body. I don't know that she was taking medication, but my guess is she was. 
and that would cause thoughts of suicide, and she maybe did not have the support system. And more importantly, as Dr. Bruce Lipton pointed out, her perception of being a victim. As you heard, Roland Martin shared all the victim words about, you know, getting an, a performance uh, evaluation that was not good, and then uh, uh, projecting outward to you're the problem, you're the boss, but you're the problem, I'm the victim, it's your fault, instead of saying, I already have depression, I already have anxiety, I'm in this toxic environment for the last three, four, five months, what do I do about it? What are my choices? And our, our, our Monday morning host, Zelda, says, a job will help you lose your identity, but also a chance to learn how, learn the truth of who you are. Thank you, Zelda. And there, Zelda and Naima are at the um, auto show in Chicago, and I'm going to try and join them, uh, either them joining me <laughs> coming in or going to her YouTube channel later. But I do have a caller. I noticed the hand was up. So let me go to the caller, uh, 314-677. Your mic is open. Do you have a comment or question for us today? Well, you know, Roland Martin is a race baiter. <laughs> but if the lady, well, it's true. He's a race baiter. That's what he looks for. I remember that the Trump had a, a uh, big uh, convening of black students at the White House, a room full at the rear barrack. He was sitting down in a chair with his collar pulled up over his ears so nobody could recognize him. He was a real big pumpkin head. But on that school, why come there had not been any interviews with where she came from? And the president is a white male. Quite naturally, Roland's going to attack him. But why come there wasn't any interviews of where she came from? Being that she mentioned in her email about the success that she had, had, where she came from, listen to what she said, that she had had. If the successes was that great, and looking at the statistics of Lincoln University, Missouri, one time the graduation rate was low as 17% in six years, then why did she choose to go there? So that's what the question should have been asked, uh, should have been revealed, or the people should have interviewed where she came from and got their opinion of her performance. And also, I wonder if she'd taken the jab. You think so? Probably, yep. High probability, yep. But more importantly, <laughs> she was antidepressant. Well, antidepressant and the jab, that's a combination of a suicidal cocktail, I would think. I don't know. Anyway, I'll yeah. let you go with that. Thank you. You right, That was uh, Pianchi. I'm not sure where Pianchi is calling. Where are you calling from, by the way? Calling from 70 degrees south. 70 degrees south. Okay, we'll take that. <laughs> but Pianke raises some really good questions because it almost feels like when she took that job, she was already depressed and in anxiety. I mean, May of 2023, you take a job and then um, 
four months later, you're telling your your colleagues, your boss, uh, that I have anxiety and uh, depression, and you need to consider that and give me some time off, or be considerate that I have anxiety and depression. That was that's what was in her email. So where did she come from? I believe she have, came from a school in North Carolina, but there's a lot of information on the internet and YouTube. If you're interested in finding out more about um, uh, uh, Antoinette Candia Bailey, because she tell she has left us a very good classroom story to analyze. So thank you, Bianca, for those questions, because that will help understand, understand why this woman left this uh, earth on January 9th, I believe it was, and left all that information about her story. Again, as, if you missed the beginning, I told, showed my dad back here. He played football, grew up in Jim Crow South, and he lived to be 95 years young. And his philosophy was the psychology of adjustment. And his lesson for his story, I wrote his story in this book, and his story is one of uh, – of psychology of adjustments for 95 years. He had three wives. He uh, played professional football. He went to World War III, and he survived that. But what I think what really weakened him was his relationship with his third wife. And I can say that freely because he's given me the freedom. I have the freedom. His relationship with his third wife was not very good in his later years, and she was 20 years younger. And then, interesting, she died a year after him. So all that conflict in relationships, that's why it's so important today. Why suicide? We're examining and healing the root causes. One of the root causes is bad relationships and toxic environments. So as I just played that commercial, when you have toxic environments, not only mentally, your work area, and then you have go home and you're using all these toxic chemicals that you're breathing in and you're eating all this crappy processed food, boom, explosion, explosion. Antoinette Candia Bailey tells her story, which includes, I think, all of these elements, all these issues. Where did she come from? What was the situation that she left that brought with her anxiety and depression in her new job. Why couldn't she perceive her new environment in a different way, not being toxic, not being uh, causing depression? Because she became, in her mind, I'm a victim. You're a bully. I'm a victim. She lost her power totally, no empowerment of a, well, I'm a master of my fate, and this environment is toxic. I need to leave. None of that. It was, I'm a victim, you're a bully, and I'm going to take my life, I'm out of here. And I believe it was heavily influenced by probably, I'm not sure, but antidepressants. Let me go to the next caller, uh, 312-721-64. Oh, your mic is open. <laughs> go ahead. Where are you? Yes. Can you hear me, Dr. B? Yes, I can. Go ahead. Yes, this is Minister Robert for a club in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, well, it's so easy for us, in my opinion, 
to uh, become a victim of suicide and yet hard to uh, build a relationship, spiritual relationship with God. Uh, and thank you, uh, you know, for uh, our health is our wealth in, in building, uh, up, uh, uplifting, you know, our mind, our body, our souls, and our spirit in the light of, uh, you know, this uh, sister really needed God, plus she needed to uh, relax. The most successful people in life are people that are relaxed, no matter what their religion is, no matter what their sex is, or how old they are. However, uh, you know, I think that, you know, she would have become uh, more of of, of uh, positive in a relationship with uh, Plump Music Productions, in a relationship with God, and and, and then therefore uh, in a relationship with uh, her family and the community. And as a result, uh, she would have... Uh, had a burning desire to live, and it is, uh, as they say, so easy to uh, get in trouble, and, and it's hard to get out of, but when you surround yourself with the uh, spiritual godlike consciousness, as well as uh, with your family, loved ones, or, or even business of uh, associates and friends, and then you reach out to the community, then you won't have that uh, suicide uh, uh, mentality or tendency to do uh, something that, uh, you know, God is against suicide. And we have to understand that, too, in a a serious way that we can um, uh, thank God for our health and our wealth. And uh, uh, I'm happy myself. Uh, that I have reached that level of consciousness to be happy, to be healthy, to be wealthy, and to be wise. It is always wise uh, to not allow yourself to become a victim. It is also wise uh, to allow yourself uh, uh, not uh, to uh, create and maintain negative uh, mental attitude. She needed to have used the PMA, positive mental attitude, and that would have made a difference in her life and gave her a burning desire uh, uh, to live and let live, uh, not only for herself, but for others, and to really uh, help save the children, because that's very disastrous to think that, uh, you know, you got a right to take your own life because you're being bullied or others don't like you. But remember, they did not even like Yahshua, who most know as as Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he looks like you and me, Dr. B. Thank you for all that you do. We love you. And keep up the good work. Minister Robert Ward Plump. Uh, the president of Plump News Productions in Chicago. Right. Hallelujah. Thank you, Minister Plump. And and I agree uh, with just about everything you said. You are a light in Chicago to help prevent suicide because your music, your words of encouragement, you are the type of person that we love to hear from who is preventing suicide and, and encouraging joy and laughter with your music. 
So thank you so much for sharing that. And Deborah, our Saturday host, says, I made the decision to leave a corporate job as I sat in my initial appointment with the psychologist. Hallelujah. That's what it takes for divine assignment to go on and on and on. And Minister Plum said something interesting that the creator hates does hate suicide, blah, blah, and he doesn't want us to take our life. Here's the thing. The creator gives us free will. There's a scripture that says, I set before you life and death. Choose life so that you and your seed may live. I remember that so well because it, it talks about the creator's free will that they, that they give us. The universe gives us free will, and it says, choose. I set before you life and death. The problem was uh, our sister didn't see the death in her environment, the toxicity. We don't recognize the toxic environment that we find ourselves in. And unlike what happened with Deborah, she recognized it, just didn't talk into a psychologist. She said, ah, time for me to go. Hallelujah. I'm out of here. She's still with us today doing a great show every every month or travel. But so many people um, don't recognize that. And so um, – we are grateful to have uh, people in our lives, like our sister Zelda, who's coming from, I got Zelda on uh, at the Chicago, oh, wait, let me, before I go to Zelda, Naima said, okay, somebody is on uh, for the, the uh, higher learning or air, uh, on-air network. I'm trying to find Naima's number. Let's see. Is she 312-721? Is that you? Naima, your mic is open. 312-721. Yes. You have a, and we're going to go yes, to Zelda three, live on the show. Go ahead. Yeah, 312-989. Uh, you're on. Unmute your mic. Three one two nine eight nine. Oh hi, this is Zoe. How are you? Ah, hey, wonderful. Zoe. Hey Zoe. Yeah, I think you have a, a great uh, discussion today, and I want to put in my two cents. When you, um, when we are facing um, a harassment from authority and uh, or superior. Um, because it's my, it's my personal experience. I think people just have a different way to address the situation. I remember when I was uh, running uh, assist living in Wisconsin, and I've been harassed by the state, the state uh, agency and, and the local um, county agency. So instead of me feel bad about how they harassed me, I just took them to court. I think... But I think we can, uh, if we believe what we are doing is right, then you, we will know the other party who is doing the harassment, is they, that's a part of their routine. So they are not only doing it to us, they might do it to someone else. And we can be an advocate, advocate for people who are being, uh, being bullied. So and I did some research and I noticed Many of the, the assisting facilities run by uh, African-Americans are suffering same harassment by the state. So what I did, I took to, to the state to court and just let them know they can just bully us and then we remain silent. 
can win the court battle because they are more powerful and they, they can use their law to their advantage and say, hey, you don't have a right to sue the state, the government. But at least we put the records in, in the public that document how they've been harassing or, uh, um, yeah, the, the business owned by minorities. I think we can channel that kind of experience in a more proactive way into by exposing them. If um, this, uh, this lady, if she believed she was in the right, she should have to done to publicize the way the, uh, the, the president's been harassing her and uh, alert other people and take action against the, the president. If she truly believed she was right. But, you know, I yeah. think she, she, could, she should have analyzed her situation, have a firm belief in herself. And I think she might not be that strong in, even before she took this job. And she was just overwhelmed um, yeah. with yeah. the responsibility exactly. that job carries. So it's a mismatch yeah. of the job description. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much, Zoe, because that is the option we didn't mention, fight the battle in court. Thank you so much, Zoe. Appreciate that. Because if you're strong enough, that's an option for you. I, I totally agree with her on that. So, but unfortunately, I believe what happened in her case was that um, she was not strong enough. She was already depressed and anxious six months, three months into the job. And I, again, if she was on any type of antidepressant medication, it totally alters your common sense, your mind. And you don't even, I don't even think she thought about fighting because that if you're on antidepressants to begin with, uh, you're not, that may not even be in her thought. But that's another option to consider when you are facing a toxic environment. We're going to join Zelda at the auto show. So Zelda is live. I don't know if she can hear me. Can you hear me, Zelda? But Zelda is at the Chicago Auto Show. Hi, Zelda. Hey, Zelda. I can hear you. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. We're connected. Yay! We're connected. How's it going there? How's how's it going? Hi. Got a little delayed, but how's it going? You hear me? Yes. How's All it going? Right. How's it going? Twenty four, the Chicago Auto Show, and we will be joined uh, by our executive producer, Juma uh, Latif. And as soon as yeah, I know your show is over at nine, so we we'll appreciate you staying a little bit, come back, and still be what's available for the public because. Uh, Yesterday, today is just media. Yesterday, I coming If you're around the same we'll let you see in car. I am not in the market for a car. And if I had to be in the market for a car, you could stuck on you over there. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, be sure and tune in a little later. Probably right there for the hour. Uh, bring, I just wait to show you. Gosh, they are. Bring, uh, anyway, um, I, I digress. Uh, but I wanted to share with you the, the, the text that I got. 
it says, I believe it's from Naima. Uh, when you say, when we're talking about your topic, commit suicide, and teachers and teachers in the coughing or putting on the gas in a closed garage on carbon dioxide. I don't know, that's a, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I read it because it's true. And I'm not exactly sure. Well, there was a lot of that. Are you Viata? I just don't know. I just don't know. Well, I push the people uh, allowing us the opportunity to uh, I mean, this one, but tomorrow, uh, starting with Friday, February 9th, the show, floor show opens at 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. from 9 to 9.30. Uh, 9.30 to 16 is the to And 10, 30, Toyota vehicle. 10, 40. Lucid vehicle walk I never heard of a lucid vehicle. That's I guess we're all going to find out. And from the left of the 30th, the Weber LL2 location. So there's lots of good things going on. So we're going to break uh, lots of information. Yeah, I see the German is going to be giving you in terms of just that information. Or the reporting for the Thank you, Viata, for being a blessing for staying over a little bit before the show ends today. And thank you all for listening. Remember to not go auto show. right away but I tried to convince my son not to buy a new car and I actually invest money to get his car repaired blah 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 but he travels so much back he's a divorced man he has to pick up the kids from school take them here there he every two days every weekend we're going everywhere blah 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 so I understand why he felt the need to get a new car because he has to transport these two Precious, precious souls called grandchildren for me all around the city. And he had a car that had over 150,000 miles on it. It had some repairs it needed. It did that. But then there was a clinking sound. So he was a little concerned about that car being reliable. But for me, worst, I lost my car this year to uh, someone hit me. They totaled it. So I, don't have, I ride my bike. I, ride, I walk more than ever. And so I feel I'm healthier than ever because I don't have a car. Because I use that car to go one mile to the store and back. I use that car for everything, and I would avoid riding my bike and walking, which I do more than ever now. I walk to the theater, which is only 20 minutes away, a 20-minute walk, and saw this really amazing movie, American Fiction. If you haven't seen it, please go see it and tell me what you thought. Anyway, we're at the end of the show. I pray and hope this show will be shared by all of you to people to help prevent them taking their life. But 
Ah, I had a client in Germany I was with on uh, Skype or on StreamYard or uh, talking, counseling him. I was a client. And he said, you know, I often have uh, suicidal thoughts. And I'm like, I said, you know, I don't blame anybody if they have suicidal thoughts these days because this world is insane right now, chaos everywhere. But I think you're a great person. You have lots of skills. You have lots of gifts that you can share with others. And I hope and pray you get over this uh, suicidal thoughts. But the medication you're on, and he's on medication, it's, it's going to trigger those thoughts. So one of the things you need to do is try and get off that, that medication. So that will take away some of the thoughts. And then just think about how what a wonderful person you are to me and to other people. Otherwise, eh, your soul goes on to another journey and you leave an imprint here. If you're an adult, you're going to leave an imprint here and people will talk about you and learn lessons. Two ways to look at that. So we give thanks for uh, the life of um, Antoinette. She had a long name, Bonnie Candia Bailey. And I hope you all learned some very valuable lessons that will help you be more powerful, more loving, more compassionate, and be a better listener than more than ever. So we're going to say goodbye now. Thank you all for being here, sharing. You were part of this school on how to prevent suicide today. And I hope you'll share this with your friends. And we're going to say thank you to our global family. We've come to the end of our show today, but you can hear every show in the archives at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the-female-solution. You can also hear today's show on the Female Solution Facebook page. Go to www.facebook.com slash thefemalesolution. Leave your comments about today's show. You can always reach me on my website at www.naimalatif.com. That's www.naimahlatif.com. Watch our TV shows. Listen to our radio shows. Order our books. And be sure to get your copy of the book, the female solution on behalf of our team of radio hosts i'd like to thank all of you who participated in today's discussion and to our global family listening from all around the world we say thank you to our family in china sheshe sheshe zanyaba japan kamsanida Russia, Mida. Spasiba, Spasiba, Danke, Danke, John Cunion, Merci, Spain, Merci beaucoup, Gracias, Italy, Gracias, Grazie, Grazie, Shukran, Gan, Shukran, Medasi, Medasi, Eche, Eche, Niabonga, Niabonga, Jared. Kenya, Asante, Israel, Toda, Pakistan, Shukriya, Afghanistan, Tashakur, Saudi Arabia, Shukran, Shukran, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. And.
and to all my yogis and God's blessings. I say namaste and sat nam. <laughs>